Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, once again, talking with you about practical issues related to ministry leadership. By now, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you know that I'm in an extended series growing out of a presidential convocation address I made at the beginning of this fall semester at Gateway Seminary. I made a presentation on the fact that baptisms in the Southern Baptist Convention have declined to uh, the level that they were in the 1940s, meaning that we are really at an all-time low because uh, while the baptismal rate is about the same as it was in the 1940s, we have twice as many churches today as we had in the 1940s. So our effectiveness at reaching people and seeing them publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ through baptism is really at an all-time low. We also looked at some data in the original presentation that showed that the baptismal rate has not only been declining, but since 2000, it's been in a free fall, uh, in a steep downward trend. And so I talked about uh, some factors that caused that in the original uh, message and original podcast, and then I've been expanding on those factors over these past several weeks. And I'm going to do that for a couple, three more weeks, then we'll move on to some other uh, kinds of uh, subjects for the podcast. We've now reached factor number seven, which is over-dependence on attraction models of evangelism. And here's what I said in the original message. In contrast to the decline in public invitations to receive the gospel, some churches have minimized personal evangelism by placing too much emphasis on attractional evangelism models. These approaches have reduced the outreach responsibility of church members to, quote, invite your friends to a church service or, quote, bring your friend to a ministry event. The subtle message from leaders is, you get them here, we'll take it from there. While bringing people to Christian events is beneficial, the come and hear approach to reaching people is inadequate. Newsflash, most Christian events are not that attractive to unbelievers. Drive around on Sunday morning and see the thousands of people on soccer fields, at the malls, going to the mountains or beaches, or gathering to watch the NFL with their friends. Most non-Christians are not attracted to anything we're doing. If they are going to hear the gospel, we are going to have to go where they are and share it with them. This is not revolutionary news. The most effective gospel-sharing strategy has always been believers telling their friends, family members, work associates, and neighbors about Jesus. That's God's timeless strategy. We short-circuit God's plan, overestimate our leaders' capacities, and rob rank-and-file believers of the joy of sharing the gospel when we limit our evangelism strategy to attraction models. Now, while I believe that we have an over-dependence on attraction models, in order to understand how to change this, we have to take a broader view of what are the models of evangelism available to us today, and then how can we realistically bring a greater balance in this area. I think there are three broad categories of evangelism strategies used by churches today. These are attraction models, engagement models, and infiltration models. Let me define these and illustrate them so you'll know what I mean. Attraction models are defined this way. A Christian event or program designed to accommodate unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus Christ. A Christian event or program designed to accommodate unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus Christ. An engagement model is an event or program designed to extend ministry to unbelievers and introduce them to Jesus Christ. Note the difference. We're not trying to accommodate unbelievers. We're trying to extend ministry to unbelievers. And then the third model are what I call infiltration strategies. 
This is defined as the deployment of believers throughout the culture to introduce unbelievers to Jesus Christ in their context. So this is deploying uh, deploying believers throughout the culture to introduce unbelievers to Jesus in their context. Attraction, engagement, infiltration. Now, an example. Let's take this area of athletics. Uh, An attraction model might be having a rally with a prominent athlete sharing their testimony or their commitment to Jesus Christ. You attract unbelievers to hear the athlete share his story. An engagement strategy might be a church operating a sports program in the community. Uh, The church organizes the program, staffs it, and extends it to the community, opens it to community participation, and in fact even encourages community participation, but retains the leadership and direction of the program in the community. An infiltration strategy is telling your church members, go coach Little League. And in doing so, build relationships, share the gospel, win people to faith in Jesus, and bring them back to church with you. That's three ways that sports could be used in, as, in evangelism. Okay, let's talk about Bible study. Um, an attraction model of evangelism is inviting someone to your Sunday school or your small group. Come and do this with us, and we'll make it so attractive to you that it accommodates your interest and your needs. Uh, that's attraction. Then starting a Bible study at your workplace. That's an engagement strategy. Uh, starting a Bible study before work or after work, at, during noontime, but doing something at the workplace where your church or your ministry extends yourself into the community. All right, but what about infiltration? That's volunteering as a corporate chaplain. That's going into a, a secular organization and serving as a chaplain, meeting people's needs on their terms, in their workplace, in whatever way the company will allow it to be done. That's an example of Bible study or our Bible-based ministry extended through attraction, engagement, and infiltration strategies. Let's talk about children. Um, an attraction strategy for reaching children might be opening a children's home. You create a ministry and invite people to come there and participate. An engagement strategy might be a mentoring program after school, where your church goes into a school, creates a mentoring program, staffs it, and uses it as a means to build relationships and reach people with the gospel. An infiltration strategy would be joining the foster, foster care system, where you have church members say, we're going to become a part of the state-supported foster care program in our area. We're going to take the training, uh, go into their system, and by doing so, attra- have children in our home, and, and in the process of doing that, infiltrate this uh, secular organization or program with the gospel. Now, you've heard these examples, so let me refresh, refresh your memory about the definitions. An attraction strategy invites unbelievers and accommodates them so they can hear the gospel. An engagement strategy goes among unbelievers, but it's still the church doing the ministry out there and and engages people with the gospel. But an infiltration strategy is really uh, going on their turf, so to speak. It's deploying unbelievers, excuse me, deploying believers throughout the culture to reach unbelievers where they are in their context. Now, let me make some overarching observations about these three strategies. First, all three strategies have value. Uh, Just because I'm saying in this podcast that we have an over-dependence on attraction models doesn't mean attraction models do not have value. They certainly do have value. Uh, We see that every year here in our area when Greg Laurie hosts the Harvest Crusade. 
Uh, he'll fill the Angels baseball stadium for three nights of 45, 50,000 people showing up to hear him preach the gospel. Uh, they'll have music, uh, other uh, aspects of the program that appeal to unbelievers, and then he'll preach a very, st- a very straightforward Bible message about salvation. Uh, the attraction model still definitely works. So I'm not against any of these models. I'm just saying that we're over-dependent on one at this particular time. All three strategies have value. Second, synergy among these three can make all three more effective. For example, as an infiltrator, I was a Little League coach for many years and a board member and an umpire. It was helpful to me that our church had an attraction strategy by which it designed its Sunday worship services to be attractive to unbelievers and accommodate their needs as they participated. So while I'm out there infiltrating, if I do bring people back to church, I know that the attraction model is going to reinforce the infiltration model, and they're both going to work together. So these models work best when they all three work together, and synergy makes any one of them more effective. Now... Um, attraction mo- third observation is attraction and engagement models are, are increasingly inadequate for reaching secular people. Now, there are two things about attraction and engagement models that make them, uh, that reveal that they're getting less and less effective. One is they're largely ignored. You may say, yeah, but we had a great crowd at our attraction event. I'm sure you did. But think about the thousands, if not millions of people that live in your area that were not attracted to the event. You say, but we have this great ministry that's going into the community and it's making a real difference in the lives of these people. And I'm sure that engagement strategy is making a real difference. But think of how many hundreds, if not thousands of people, it's not connecting with. So engage, so attraction and engagement strategies are less effective because frankly, they're just largely ignored by most unbelievers. Most unbelievers have no awareness that these things are even taking place. They're also uh, increasingly inadequate because they are very expensive. They take a lot of money, and they typically take a lot of time. And so it takes a lot of our two most important commodities in order to go into the community by attraction and engagement and share the gospel. Now, the last overarching observation is that resistance to infiltration strategies is often rooted in our fear of ministering in venues where we are not in control. Now, this last phrase is very significant, where we are not in control. You know, when you have an attraction strategy and you invite people to a Christian event, it's typically either in a uh, church building or ministry facility or in a public venue that you've rented or otherwise contracted to have control of during that event. When you go into an engagement model, you're doing things, but you're doing things in the community that your church still controls. Uh, For example, a number of years ago, I was teaching on this, and a person came up and said, man, I'm so glad to hear you teaching on this. Our church is really doing this infiltration, and we're really out there. And I said, well, tell me an example. And he said, well, we had a woman in our church that had a passion for unwed mothers in our community, so she came to our church, shared her vision. Some people in our church caught uh, the the dream of it, agreed to step forward and fund it. They rented a house. They furnished it. They 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 uh, they made it possible for this woman to work uh, in the in the house and draw her income from that for a period of time until you know other funding could be established. And we started inviting ch- uh, you know women in. And over the years, our church has had this success of this many women coming to faith in Jesus, this many babies being saved, etc. When he finished his story, I said, that is a fantastic story, but it's not what I'm talking about. That's not an infiltration strategy. It's an engagement strategy because your church retained control of the ministry. 
you had the board, you had the budget, you had the house, you set the rules, you determined what went on, uh, everything was in, under your control. Infiltration is where you go when you are, where you are not in control. For example, I know a pastor who has, uh, uh, recently signed on as a volunteer coach at the local high school, football coach at the local high school. Um, he's coaching a few days a week. He's going with the team. He's, uh, he's doing his, his coaching responsibilities. He's not there as a chaplain. He's there as a coach. He played uh, high school football, was a very, very good high school football player. He played college sports as well. Uh, and so he's, uh, he's very uh, much uh, an asset to this small uh, town's college or a small town's high school football program. And he's coaching, coaching, coaching. He's there as an infiltrator. He's not there. Uh, as a pastor representing his church, he has no authority. He has no control. He can't set the agenda. He has to be there and by his influence and by his hard work gain credibility that then results in gospel sharing taking place. Interestingly enough, uh, he told me that last Sunday, uh, three football players showed up at his church for the worship service uh, because they know that their coach is a pastor. And even though he's not perhaps uh uh, preach the gospel to them on the football field. Uh, he has modeled the gospel, lived out his values, talked about his life and what he does, and by doing that had an infiltration effect so that these students are now participating or have come at least the first time to participate in his church. Now that's where the attraction and infiltration working together becomes very, very significant because the church then received this and was able to minister to, connect with, and present itself in such a way that hopefully these athletes will Continually be continue to be open to the gospel. So resistance to infiltration strategies is often found because we have to go where we're not in control. And quite frankly, some Christians just don't like that. Uh, they are afraid of, of of what it might what it might be like to go out there where they're not in control and try to represent the gospel. You know, I did this for ten years as a major league sports chaplain. I did it for twenty five years as a coach and umpire up and down the West Coast in various contexts. It is hard to go where there are a lot of things going on that really do contradict our values and really do uh, uh, undermine what we believe in or what we stand for. But being out there in those contexts with the gospel is what it means to be an infiltrator. And the reason I think this is so significant is because infiltration strategies mean that if if we had this widespread practice among believers, infiltration strategies mean we could be in contact with Thousands and thousands of people every week in workplaces, in gyms, on soccer fields, uh, in, in uh, coffee shops, in all the places people go every week. If they were trained as infiltrators with the gospel to be aware of and, in, and, and sensitive to opportunities to share the gospel, we would have much more gospel sharing going on, talk, connecting with and talking with many more people than we're ever going to be able to engage in by a ministry event or attract to an outreach event. Well, what are some barriers that we have for infiltrating the culture with the gospel? Well, I think there's some personal barriers and some theological barriers, and I'm going to go through these quickly. First, personal barrier is fear of the culture. Uh, we're just simply afraid uh, that when we go out there with the gospel, we're going to be shunned, attacked, criticized, ignored, or ridiculed. We're afraid. Second, we have angry. we're angry with the culture. We are frustrated with... Um, what the culture has done to marriage, what it's done to gender identity, what it's done to sexual morality. We are angry with people who are on our television set protesting uh, what we believe in, speaking out against what we stand for, passing laws that undermine our convictions. We are angry. And because of that anger, we don't want to go out there and talk to those people. We want to ignore them. 
Third, personal barriers, we're concerned about compromise, and there is some legitimacy in this. We're concerned that if we send believer, believers out among unbelievers, that somehow those believers will be uh, lured away from the gospel or will somehow be, uh, will be uh, distracted from their pure, purity of their devotion to Jesus. And there is certainly some risk in that. But that speaks more about the anemic nature of our discipleship strategies and the weakness of our fellowship bonds than it does the power of the culture to overcome the gospel. Concerns about compromise, let's be sure they're rooted really in concerns about compromise and not use that as a mask to hide um, the, the, uh, the poor way that we're making disciples of people or the lack of cr- close Christian fellowship that we have that sustains people when they are tempted or challenged. And then finally, especially for those of you that are pastors or other ministry leaders, another barrier to infiltrating the gospel is the behavioral expectations some people have for Christian leaders. Um, I recently uh, had a pastor's wife who retired. Her husband retired after many years in the pastorate, and she came to uh, uh, have coffee with my wife, and she had on some really stylish jeans, you know, with the holes in them, the you know, the expensive kind of jeans that look like they were uh, already run over by a couple of trucks. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so she comes with these jeans, and, and my wife uh, didn't say anything about it, but she, the woman said, how do you like my jeans? And Ann said, uh, well, they look, they look great. And the woman said, it's the first time I've worn jeans in 30 years. She said, I didn't wear them when I was a pastor's wife. I just didn't feel like it re- really would be acceptable to a lot of the people in my church. Now, whether you agree with that or disagree with that, my point is simply that people have sometimes unusual ideas about how ministry leaders are supposed to act, where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to wear, how we're supposed to uh, talk, and who we're supposed to be seen with. Now, I have a friend, for example, that doesn't like to go anywhere where alcohol is served because he's afraid there might be a photograph or something taken with a drink on the table where he's sitting, even though it's not his drink, and people would be able to misinterpret that. Well, I understand all this kind of uh, expectation is out there, but quite honestly, uh, as a ministry leader, I just had to get past all that. Now, I'm trying to live a life that really doesn't compromise the gospel, uh, and I am trying to live in such a way that defends the purity and integrity of the gospel and of my, my lifestyle as a ministry leader, but I am not trying to live in such a way that I please every single Christian's expectation of what a ministry leader is supposed to be like. You just can't live that way if you're really going to infiltrate, meaning that you're really going to be out there with unbelievers uh, doing life with them, sharing the life experiences they have, and trying your best to get the gospel into those contexts. So those are some personal barriers. And then there's some theological barriers understand as well. One is the diminished understanding of the power of service. Uh, we fail to understand that when Jesus said, the greatest among you is the servant of all, he meant that as an evangelism strategy, that when you go out and serve others, meeting their needs in their context, it raises your esteem in their eyes and makes them more open to what you have to say about what you believe. Another theological barrier is the wrong definition of the church. Another is the wrong definition of discipleship. Um, another is the wrong definition of commitment. I've talked about all these things on other podcasts, so I'm not going to go into them in detail today. But just simply to say, we have to have our theology right. We have to understand the power of service, 
the definition of the church as an organism more than an institution, the definition of discipleship as focusing more on transformation than on program accomplishment, the right, the, the right definition of commitment focusing more on obedience, not external legalism. We have to really think through what we really believe and make sure that our true beliefs that we really hold to are what inform our practice of evangelism, especially as we infiltrate the, go- the culture with the gospel. Well, let me close out by talking about some strategies that your church, uh, that you can lead your church to, to accomplish to increase your level of infiltration of the culture with the gospel. Now, before I go into these strategies, let me underscore this. Attraction, engagement, infiltration, they're all vital. I simply believe that we're putting way too much emphasis on the first, a lot of emphasis on the, on the second, and not very much on the third. So what I'm talking about now is not how do you uh, reverse that and put all your emphasis on infiltration. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm trying to get you to do is bring greater balance to your church strategies in these areas. So number one, how to lead your church to be more to, to do better at infiltrating the culture with the gospel. Number one, lay the foundation and reinforce the effort. In other words, lay the foundation by your teaching and preaching and your personal example. You have to find a way uh, to teach people that they are deployed in the culture with the gospel, they have a responsibility for sharing the gospel in the culture, and that you, as a model, are doing that, and you have to be able to share some stories or illustrations about how you've done that. So that's how you lay the foundation. And then reinforce the effort by celebrating the successes of people who infiltrate the culture with the gospel. Uh, there are lots of ways to do this. Uh, some of them are very simple, like, for example, uh, one church I know <clears throat> has a number of public school uh, teachers and other educators that are members. At the beginning of every school year, they call all of them forward in a worship service. They recognize them, each one individually. They talk about what they do, where they teach, how they serve. And they lead a prayer that God will enable every one of them to be an infiltrator with the gospel in their school in the coming academic year. And they commission them as missionaries to the public school system to do that appropriately, yes, but to do it intentionally with the gospel. Uh, Another church I know does this with uh, parents who work in their youth sports programs in their community. Rather than rail against the threat of youth sports to church activity, they've said no. Uh, Our families are involved in youth sports in the community, and so we bring together everyone who coaches or who's a team mom or who's on a board. And a couple times a year, they bring them together for an evening of training and inspiration. Uh, They might bring an outside person to come in and speak about the importance of this role. And then they give them resources and tools and let them talk with each other about what they're doing to take the gospel with them into these youth sports programs. And by doing that, they pray a prayer, then they conclude with a prayer of commissioning over them, sending them out as infiltrating missionaries into these contexts. There are lots of ways to do this, but intentionality of supporting people who are trying to be infiltrators with the gospel is one important strategy a church can adopt. So lay the foundation and reinforce the effort. Number two, Choose a small group of people to initiate this process in your church. Don't expect everyone to participate or be supportive. Start with a small number of people with realistic expectations. Uh, If you have a church of 100, you're not going to suddenly have 99 of them become infiltrators next week. Pick out four or five people who have the potential of being uh, infiltrators in their workplace or through their, their, their involvement in the community and spend some time training them, sharpening them, focusing them, and helping them to learn how to do that. And then as they start to see some success with people coming to faith in Jesus or people coming to engagement activities or people coming to attraction events, as they start to have some success, magnify that, promote it, share the success, and see the group grow over time. So start with a small group to initiate the process. 
Another thing to do is find a way to involve people as infiltrators at their level of comfort. I have a favorite story of a church in the Pacific Northwest that decided to infiltrate their community with the gospel by taking on the public school that was literally across the street from the church as their project. The first year they tried it, they didn't get very far. The principal stonewalled them and said, no, we don't really want a church doing this kind of thing for us. But the pastor was persistent and kept saying, we want to serve you. How can we help you? What do you need from us? And finally, the uh, principal said, well, do you have anyone that could staff an after-school tutoring program to help some kids that are behind learn how to read more effectively? And he said yes, and they did that. And then the next thing, the principal said, well, do you have some uh, some school crossing guards that could help us in the mornings especially because we just have a lot of people coming in and I'm afraid we're going to get somebody hurt and we don't have enough staff to man everything. And the, and the pastor said, we can do that. So he organized a team of men from his church to go over and do that early in the mornings. And then they came back and said later, you know, we have some kids that don't have enough school supplies. And so they did a backpack drive. And so by year two or year three, this church was providing after school tutors, crossing guards, uh, backpack providers. And then after two or three years of that, the principal said, would there be any way you could start an after-school program so the kids didn't have to go home to empty houses, they could stay on campus for an hour and a half after school, maybe two hours, and have meaningful structured activity? And the pastor said, we could do that, but we would need to build that around our Bible curriculum or our children's curriculum because we can't replicate an entirely new program. I don't have the people to do that, but I have some people who are already trained, already doing things. We could do it there. And she said, the principal said, bring it. So after a couple of years of infiltrating at a level that people were comfortable both on, on both sides of the equation, this church was able to actually start an after-school um, Bible teaching, Bible activity, recreation type program in, in this school. The church was able to start this in the school. Now, still there were people in the church who didn't want to be over there. They feared the public school. They don't like the public school. They're threatened by the public school. They don't really know how to teach the Bible or lead an activity for children. And so they said, we'll pray and we'll give financially to help support this. So the church built a comprehensive strategy by finding a way to involve people at their level of comfort. Some were willing to go into the school as tutors. Some were willing to go in as Bible teachers. Some were willing to go in as recreational leaders. Others were willing to say, nope, can't do that, but I'll be a school crossing guard, or, well, I'll, I'll help buy backpacks, or, or I'll just contribute prayers and money to make this thing work. But the church had a significant infiltration strategy that a lot of people were able to be a part of and support as they went into this school with the gospel. It ultimately morphed into what you might describe as an engagement strategy. That's okay. They work well together, infiltration and engagement. And in this case, these two were very synergistic and working together to build a real impact in that community. Well, number four, train people to sense opportunities to share the gospel as infiltrators. Now, I've talked about this on another podcast. I won't go into it here, but uh, my uh, my uh, uh, strategy that I've taught now for years, and I'm teaching, really, I've taught it all over the country, is teach people to pay attention to these four things. People die, relationships struggle, health fails, things break. And when those four things happen, and if you want more about that, there's another podcast I've done about that. Um, in great detail. But when those four things happen in any cultural context, step in with the gospel by asking, how can I serve you? What can I do to help you? Can I pray for you? Here's a strat- or here's some resources I've used that have helped me get through similar difficulties in my life. Look for those four things to happen while you're out there infiltrating. And when they do, step in with the gospel. And then finally, uh, as you raise the level of infiltration strategies in your church or ministry, don't criticize engagement approaches and don't criticize attraction approaches. Remember, this is not about replacing one with the other. This is about bringing greater balance to what we're trying to do. 
a healthy church will have many infiltrators working in the community sharing the gospel. It will have many people leading engagement strategies, taking the ministry of the church into the community and thereby sharing the gospel. It will also have significant attraction strategies whereby people can come together in events, worship services, rallies, conferences, other kinds of events that people are drawn to as an opportunity to hear the gospel and to experience the life of the church in a broader or larger context. These strategies work best when they work together. Right now, I think we're out of balance. I observe too many churches putting too much emphasis on attraction strategies, not enough on engagement and infiltration. And because of that, at least one of the reasons, baptismal rates are in decline. We can turn this around as we become both models, advocates, and trainers of people who can do more infiltrating of the culture with the gospel. Let's do it together as we lead on.